today. So let's pray. Father, I know that this is a very sensitive area in our lives because it takes up so much of our lives. It takes a lot of time and effort and energy uh, to acquire things. But the reality is you're the giver of everything that we have. And when we give our lives to you, Father, and we make you Lord, we're basically saying all that we are and all that we have and all that we will ever receive all comes as a gift from you. We recognize that life itself is a gift. And we pray today as we understand uh, just the way we're to spend our lives, our energies, our resources, our time, Lord, I pray that we will begin to understand why this is such a critical, sensitive area in our lives. And may we get a, a, an understanding of your, um, your ways so that we can walk in them and not allow finances to become the difficult thing that so often it becomes. Usually we end up in lots of debt or we get so uh, you know, anxious about what's going to happen in our tomorrow, forgetting that you're the one who cares for each one of us and that you are our Father and you will take care of us. So I pray today that we will listen to what your words have to say and may we gain an epiphany moment today and walk out of here with a new understanding and a new uh, release from anxiety and a deep sense of peace and a greater sense of purpose than we've had in the past. In Jesus' name and God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, family sat down at a dinner table following a church service one Sunday. How many know that a lot of times it's fried pasta for lunch? But anyways, uh, teenage son says to the family, he says, you know, that sermon was so boring. Yeah, chirped in his sister. Could you believe how the pastor just kept stumbling over himself and Finally, the mother said, yeah, I have to admit, that was one uninspiring day. Finally, the father, trying to show some measure of leadership to the family, said, I think we need to stop complaining. What do you guys expect for a dollar? (laughs) It's kind of fun. I I think it's cute. Let me give you one more anecdote. I I know it's... Another church, a little country church, country preacher, he's standing up and he's preaching and he goes, you know, he says, now he says, let the church walk. And then Brother Deacon over there, Deacon Jones says, amen, pastor, let it walk. You can almost tell where we're going with this. (laughs) Then the preacher chimed in, let it run. And Brother Jones hollers out, yes, preacher, let it run. He finally says out, pastor says out, let the church fly. Brother uh, Jones screams out, yes, let it fly, pastor. Pastor says, it's going to take money to let it fly. To which Deacon Jones calls out, let it walk. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I know those are two fictitious little accounts, but I, I think it has a lot of truth in those little stories, does it not? I think probably one of the most sensitive issues in our culture has to do with money. I mean, we get so excited about it, right? Isn't that true? Already you're getting real quiet. (laughs) You know, Jesus, interestingly enough, had more to say about money than any other issue. You go, why? Because as you're going to hear today, it's so critical as to our understanding of money and how we utilize it. 
He knows how quickly we can be have our hearts seduced and keep us actually from God's purposes in our lives. Now, I think churches struggle to get it right when we talk about finances. You know, some churches, you know, you go and it's almost the entire focus. I mean, you go there week in, week out, that's all they talk about, you know. So there's a almost a reaction against that. And, you know, I have to admit, I don't think we should be talking about it every week. I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about all the time. But when the Bible talks about something, I don't think we omit those topics as well. How many think that's legitimate. I think we've got to cover the whole counsel of God and see that this is a kind of a core issue in our lives. And sometimes when, you know, and I've been guilty of not talking enough about it because what it lends itself to is a misunderstanding of what in the world's really going on and how we use it and how it can actually become a snare to us and it can really trip us up. And I think a lot of people, including Christians, can get into so much debt and so much anxiety and there's so much conflict in marriages over finances. Anybody say that? that's probably true. Yeah, I think we have to be honest about that. That's probably true in all of our lives. And yet, uh, one of the great discoveries in our lives is simply this powerful statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. That's not our text today, but I want to just read this because it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that interesting? So in other words, You and I always invest and give to where our hearts really are at. Or if I say it this way, if I if I make a decision, I start giving towards something, eventually my heart moves in that direction. It really does. It's amazing how that works in our lives. I think probably one of the most miraculous stories in the Bible is the story of God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. How many that's an amazing story? I mean, a nation of slaves against the most elite, most sophisticated, most powerful nation on the earth at that time is Egypt. I've studied ancient history. Egypt was a phenomenal civilization. But the Israelites were a slave nation. They were building these great cities for the Egyptians. And how many know slaves don't get paid? You know? And so they were living in oppression and poverty, and it was terrible and there was a cry out to God and and when you read the story in Exodus it's such a sad story and eventually God it says God heard their cry and God led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and we read those amazing plagues anybody know what I'm talking about if you read your Bible this is a very powerful story it's the history of Israel how God delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians God revealed himself powerfully there. And just as they were about to leave, Moses, uh, God tells Moses, tell all of the Israelites you know, to ask for the, their, their Egyptian neighbors for their gold and silver and, and, and all of their, ask for their wealth. And the Egyptians were so happy to get rid of these guys with all these plagues, they were, they basically, the Bible says they spoiled them. In other words, they gave them much gold and silver and, and fine linens and all the rest of that. Now, in fairness, let's say you've been working there for, you know, a couple of hundred years to, you know, it says they were in captivity for 430 years. Now, they were living in Egypt that long, but they were in captivity a long time. There was, there was generations that never knew anything but slavery. So when they left, I think it was relatively fair that people who'd worked for nothing for hundreds of years should get paid. And so they left with some goods, right? And God led them into the wilderness. 
Now the Bible says that the reason he did that was he didn't want to just take them into Canaan land by the most direct route because he was afraid and he knew the hearts of his people that these slaves would never match up against the armies of the Canaanites. And so God wanted them to learn to depend upon him in a very particular way. And so God brought them into the wilderness. Now, I'm going to say this for all of us. God will lead our lives into wilderness experiences and difficult times so that you and I can learn to trust God rather than ourselves. And how many here can honestly say that you've had moments in your life that's been a difficult moment, and maybe you're in that moment today and you're wondering where God is at, and you're wondering why God is allowing you to struggle Anybody have that question in your mind? Yeah, some of you. And I tell you, the reason being is that God is allowing that to test us to see if we will trust God or not. And God calls us into the wilderness like he told Pharaoh, the reason I'm calling my people out of Egypt is so that they might go and worship me. And so the whole idea behind being delivered from Egypt was for them to become a people that was separated for God's purposes so that they might know God and reveal God to all the nations. What an amazing mandate. Now, by the way, there is a parallelism happening in our lives as well as the Egyptians' lives. You and I have been called out of Egypt. You and I have been called out of the system called our society. You and I have been called out of our sin. You and I have been delivered from the power of Satan and his oppression and that taskmaster that leaves us in a state of bondage to sin, and we have been brought out by God so that we might come to know the true and the living God and begin to worship him and God has a purpose for our lives that we might make his name known through all the earth. So we have a very similar purpose as God had for his ancient people Israel. Wow, is that powerful? I think it's amazing. You know, we have a reason for living. You know, a lot of people today have no reason for living. That's why there's so much despair in our culture. That's why people decide to end their life. We have an amazing calling before Almighty God. We have an amazing purpose. You know, when you have a reason for living, it's amazing what you can do. Let's just move off for a minute because sometimes we develop an agenda that doesn't really necessarily come from God. We need to be on God's page. We need to say, God, I'm going to do your will. Not just my thing. Well... I'm going to talk about what happened when they got into the wilderness. They met with God. God laid down the law, basically gave them the law and said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is the ways of the kingdom of God. And then he said something very powerful in chapter 35. And that's where our text is this morning. So I'm going to have you turn to Exodus chapter 35. And God called them to build a church building. But it was actually a mobile church building. It was a tent. And God's the one that initiated this development of a facility for the people of God to meet with him. And we pick up that story and chapter 35. And I want to just look at three ingredients in facility development. How many know that some of you here, you're just the beneficiary of us doing this in a past season? Isn't that true? You're here today, you're enjoying it. How many are saying, boy, am I so glad we're in a nice, warm, toasty building? And yeah, isn't that nice? 
And isn't it great that, you know, we have such great staff and things are really well structured that even this morning before you even thought about coming, someone came and plowed the whole parking lot for you. Isn't that amazing? And somebody got up really early and is fixing you a beautiful meal right now and there's others that made coffee for you. How many think this doesn't just happen by osmosis? You know, what I always love is when people come on our staff from the congregation, you know, the first thing, it takes about two or three weeks, and this is, comes out of their mouth, I had no idea. You have no idea what's going on here. There's so much going on. You know, some people say, how come you got so many staff here? What are these guys doing? Once you join the staff, you go, I get it. People are running around doing a lot of stuff to make sure that you don't even hardly notice all the wonderful benefits that you're experiencing. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, let's take a look at the story. The first thing I notice is that God initiates the receiving of an offering. In Exodus chapter 35 and verse 4 it says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. So, number one, whose idea is this? Thank you very much. Wasn't Moses' idea? <laughs> Moses says, hey, I, I was worshiping God on a mountain. I don't, I don't need a tent. No, God says, I want, I want to do this. There's a reason for it. And you know, part of it was so that it could be visible and everybody could see that God was meeting with people in the tent. That's one of the reasons. How many know that in our city, the majority of people who don't know God, wouldn't you say most people in our city probably don't know God personally? How many say that's probably true? Isn't that true? But when they see this facility, they go, well, there's some people over there doing something over there. And they're not just doing it on Sundays. How many think that's amazing? This thing is going almost seven days a week. That's incredible. I mean, if you're here Wednesday nights, place is full. You're here on a Tuesday night, place is being used. I mean, you're here on a Monday night, there's things going on. You're here on a Thursday night, things are going on. Isn't that amazing? And then there's a lot of workshops and things going on on Saturdays. So things are going on all the time. This building is being used a lot. As a matter of fact, we even have three morning, uh, three services on Sunday, and the way things are going, we're going to probably plant a fourth service in the fall. How many say we're using our facility? We're using it, and it's good, and that's what it was meant to be used for. Then it says uh, in verse 5, it's going to be an offering. It says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. You're taking an offering to build this tent of meeting, but who's benefiting at the tent of meeting? The people. You know, it's interesting. You know, when we give, we still benefit. I mean, this is really amazing to me. I'm giving to God, but I'm still the beneficiary of what I'm giving. You ever thought about it that way? I mean, think about the sacrifice in the Old Testament. You'd bring a lamb, they'd kill the lamb, they'd confess their sins, but then the Bible says they would take a part of the lamb, they would roast it, the priest would get some of the food, and then the people offering would get some of the food. They were still benefiting, right? It wasn't like they weren't benefiting from the offering. It says here, Thirdly, God was commanding them to do this, but it's interesting that it's described as a free will offering. Okay, it's for the Lord. The offerings are for the Lord. Giving is for the Lord. But it says here, it's described as a free will offering. It says, 
in the second half of verse 5 of chapter 35, everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. I want you to know that all those who are willing, this is what we call a free will offering. I would argue that offerings were basically given out of people's hearts. People decided what they were going to do. That's an offering. It says, it goes on here in verse 6, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. How, how many know that blue, purple, and scarlet were expensive colors in the ancient world? You'd have to have a lot of these little sea creatures, and you have to crush them and to create the coloring and the dyeing. So people who, you know, you know why people that were nobility wore like uh, colors like purple? That just meant they had wealth, okay? So this is, what I'm trying to get across is this is not... This is like significantly expensive stuff. That's what you need to know. Fine linen. Egypt was noted for its fine linen. Still is today. Fine linen. Goat's hair. Ram skin dyed red. Another type of durable leather and acacia wood. And all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its coverings, its clasp, its frames, its crossbars, its posts, and its bases. I got to stop and say, who's doing this? Who's initiating this? Who's telling the Israelites to do this? The Lord, through Moses, but the Lord is telling them to do this. Everybody see that? How many see that it was God that told them to build the tent in the wilderness? You guys get that? I'm just trying to make you understand who's doing what here. Then it says, in, in chapter 25, this is 10 verses, chapters earlier, it said, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. How many get the idea? It's moving away from the idea of coercion. There's no coercion here. There's no pressure. That's not what we're talking about here. This is people wanting to do it. He said, Tell them what the need is, and then those that have a heart for it, they're going to give to it. How many see that? Everybody following? I love what Alan Cole, he's an Old Testament scholar, says, the Hebrew says picturesly, every man whose heart makes him vow, he cannot help himself. In other words, what's happening is God is putting it on people's hearts to give. How many are following this? It's You see... I love what Corinthians says. You know, first of all, Paul's talking to them about receiving an offering for the poor. And he said, you know what I love about you, Corinthians? He said, you gave yourself to the Lord first, and then you gave. Or maybe it was the Macedonians. It doesn't matter. One of those groups. You gave yourself first to the Lord, and then you gave to this need. And that's always the order, folks, that we are moved in our hearts because of what God's doing in our spirit. And we go, you know what? I have a heart to see this happen I want to help this person. I want to see this occur. And that's just a reflection of what God's Spirit is doing in our hearts. So, there was a desire for a designated place to be created for God to meet with His people. No pressure to give. It came from a grateful and thankful heart. Number four, offerings are in addition to and not part of the tithe. That's very fascinating. You you go, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, I think there's a lot of confusion today because the Bible talks about tithing and then it talks about offerings. And I want to just eliminate that confusion in your mind. 
You see, tithing in the ancient world was simply people gave a tenth. People just made a decision. You know, this belongs to God. As a matter of fact, when we understand Christianity correctly, everything belongs to God, including your body, your mind, your time, your energy. Really, when we give our lives to Christ, we're giving our entirety to him. And we have to believe that all that God is giving us comes from him, and we're giving a tenth back. So that's a tithe. In the Old Testament, that was mandatory, okay? That was a mandatory thing in the Old Testament. Now, notice what it says in the book of Malachi. This is where I'm getting the distinction. Malachi says, well, a mere mortal rob God. (laughs) You say, what do you mean, rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And then he says, in tithes and offerings. So Malachi is making a distinction between a tithe and an offering. Does everybody follow this? So some of you are thinking tithing and offering is the same thing. I'm saying, no, it's different. I'm saying the tithe was what was sustaining the priesthood. The tithe tithe was really sustaining the ministry where offerings were given to help needy people, the oppressed, the poor, the widow, you know, the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple. That wasn't built on tithes, folks. That was built on offerings. Are you following this? So those are distinct things. So in our church, this is what we do. When you're tithing to our church, what we're doing, you know, we should be putting it into the general account, which we do, and the general account sustains all this ministry. It pays, you know, the boring things like the salary of the staff. I know it's boring, but, you know, you have over 20-some-odd people working here, and then you have the maintenance of the facility and the upkeep of the facility and, you know, all the things that we're doing here. How many have ever been to a dinner with the pastor? How many enjoyed that? Wasn't that good? That's where the ties are paying for that. You didn't pay for that. Somebody, how many know there's nothing free? Has anybody figured that out yet? I always tell this to somebody, you know. We have this funny idea because we get something free. We think there's free things in the world. Folks, can I just shatter that illusion for a minute? There's no such things as free. It just means somebody else paid for it. It's a gift to you. Someone's paying for that. And you have to understand that. So a lot of things that we're doing here, you come, you have coffee, it's for free. No, it's not for free. Someone's paying for that. You know, how many are following what I'm saying? You know, that's the problem in our culture today. We, we have this funny idea, you know, the, we go to, well, the government's going to pay for it. Who's the government? They're just people representing people, and they're receiving monies from people, and then they're giving back the money that comes from us. And how many, you know, if we ran our books the way they run their books, we would have big problems in our personal life. How many know you can't spend more than you take in? Has anybody figured that out yet? If you haven't figured that out, talk to me afterwards. If there's enough people coming to me, I will create a class on how to manage your money and you know, get you out of debt. You know, I, I believe we can all be out of debt. I even think the government can be out of debt if we did this right. Right? You'll, you'll, you'll track. I'll, I'll get you there. Just hang with me, guys. Number five, they were to give from what they had. You can't give what you don't have. How many know that's certainly true? Don't feel guilty if you don't have what you can't give, right? They could only give what they had. You know, but I'm going to tell you what happens when you give something. One of the reasons why when we have very little we give, sometimes we don't give anything. That's a big mistake. I'll tell you why. 
Because that's the only way to break a certain thinking in your mind. I'll tell you the story. Many years ago, a woman was preparing a box for some missionaries, and one of the children had a little bit of money, and she gave just, she only had, you know, like change, basically. And with that change, they were able to buy some tracks. One of the tracks got into the hands of one of the people in the country they were trying to reach, and they happened to be the leader of a tribe. And that person gave their life to Christ because of that track. And later on, many of the people in his tribe came to Christ, and eventually a church was established where 1,500 people were attending just because a child gave a handful of change. See, you have to understand that God has the ability to take the little we give and multiply it. And we know that from the story of the little boy who gave his lunch, and Jesus blessed it and multiplied it, and it fed all those people. It's so amazing what God can do when we participate with him. Uh, They were giving that which was of worth and value. How many know gold, silver, and all of these precious things that they were giving had value? And you know, a lot of times as Christians, here's here's our thinking. I'll give God what I can afford. You know, here's the problem with that thinking. We just don't give God our best. A lot of times what we're doing is giving God our leftovers. See, you want to break the cycle on giving? Here's what I learned a long time ago. I was a brand new Christian in my early 20s making almost minimum wage. This is when I started learning how to give. And I started tithing. You know, I was told this is what you should be doing. I started tithing. And you know what happens when you start giving? You start with your first 10%. And then you learn how to live on the other 90. Well, then eventually I learned, no, what you can start to do is give 10%, live on 80%, and save 10%. How many think that's a good plan? And after a while, as your income cre- increases, you know, your giving increases, and so does your savings. It's very simple, okay? But I want to say something about John Wesley. How many have ever heard of John Wesley? I mean, John Wesley is a pretty powerful Christian in his generation. He lived in the 18th century. John Wesley grew up in a pastor's home, very dedicated person. And instead of becoming a parish minister, he actually studied at Oxford and ended up working in the academy. And he was getting paid a good salary. He was making 30 pounds a year. That's about $70 today a year. But that's kind of back in the 18th centuries, guys. You know, we have a really inflated amount of money here. But so anyways, he would give two pounds a year. And he was doing pretty good. He was single. And one day he, you know, he was, you know, he bought some prints and he was putting them up. And then there was a chambermaid that came to his place. I don't know how all these things work, but there was people assisting. And he noticed it was such a cold day, and she had a very thin little linen cl- cloth. He could see she was freezing, and he felt bad. He would reach in his pocket to give her some money to buy a coat. That, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to do for somebody? And when he reached in his pocket, he realized he didn't have enough money to give her to go buy a coat because he had consumed it on himself. And he got convicted. The Spirit of God began to convict him. And he said to himself, you know, I don't think I'm going to stand before God one day. And he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful steward. He said, because I was not stewarding my money well. And at that moment, Wesley had an epiphany in his life and decided, I'm going to stop, you know, doing this kind of stuff. So 
he decided he was going to just try to live on what he needed. And he figured out he needed about 28 pounds a year to live. The next year, I don't know, he got some sort of a huge raise. He was making 60 pounds. And so Wesley decided to keep giving, living on the 28, and he gave 32 pounds away. Well, the following year, he got a, you know, he started writing and publishing. He started making 90 pounds. And what did he do? He just kept living on 28 pounds and gave the rest away. And Wesley began to do this so that by the time Charles, uh, John Wesley died, he was at, actually in his day, he would have been a multimillionaire. But you would never have known it because he lived a very simple life. He just met his needs and he gave the rest away. How many think that's an amazing story? See, Wesley actually believed that with increased income, should ri- what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but rather his standard of giving. How many think that's a different approach to life? Now you say, well, that, that just seems so radical. I can't even wrap my mind around this thing. But let me point out to you something that I thought was fascinating. If you go into the story in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is on the mountain. He's kind of disappeared for about six weeks. He's gone for 40 days. Everyone thinks he's not going to show back up. Finally, the people come to his brother Aaron and say, hey, listen, I don't know what happened to Moses. I think he got mauled by an animal on the mountain. Who knows? Maybe God killed him up there. Who knows if this guy's ever coming back? You need to, you know, we, we feel a little bit distressed right now. You know, make us you know, some gods. And so Aaron, under some duress, decided to gather a whole bunch of silver and gold. This is chapter 32 of Exodus. And they made what? Golden calves. Remember that story? And so, we, you know, so Moses eventually comes down, realizes they've, they've actually made these golden calves. And you know what Aaron says? This is Yahweh. So he's attributing these calves as if this is, this is the God of Israel. How many think that's a distortion? Anybody think that might be a little bit of a distortion? Where did they get this idea from? The golden calves. Well, that's what the Egyptians worshipped. You see, the, you, know, you can take the Israelites out of Egypt, but it's harder to take Egypt out of the Israelites. How many say that's true? And you know what I'm afraid of today? That there's a lot of Christians, maybe they don't want to hear this, but there's a little bit of idolatry in their heart. And it's so easy to say, you know, this is the way God is. And start thinking down a certain track regarding funds and finances, when in reality, that's not the nature of God at all. That's the nature of their own, that's not even their own nature. That's the nature and the way the world thinks. It's about greed, Right? I'm just pointing these things out. See, you and I are going to spend money. Everybody in this room is going to spend money in the next 30 days. How many say that's true, Pastor? We're going to spend money. And we're going to spend money on all kinds of things. But everything we're spending money on is indicative of where our heart is really at. Did you know that? See, when you have your heart in certain places, it changes things. You know, I I wish sometimes I could just take you all to India with me on a trip. And it would change your whole thinking about, you know, what we think we need. When you see the, all that rampant poverty. 
And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm there and I'm watching all of this. And then I see, you know, the ministry that we're engaged with and we're helping and we built the orphanage and we're caring for these kids. And when I see, you know, 130 kids with their hands raised, worshiping God, memorizing scripture, they're eating and they're living in a beautiful facility that our church family here raised the money for. And many of us in this church family are supporting them month by month. I go, Lord, I just thank you for my church family. I just thank you that we're making a statement in this community. And I thank you for these kids that have a different life because people in North America decided to forego, you know, maybe buying a a couple of lattes a week or a latte a week or whatever. Because it's 40 bucks a month. I said, I can't even pay for my own children on $40 a month. You know what I mean? What a neat thing. I'm, I'm helping, you know, provide and care for and educate and nurture these children. I go, this is so amazing. These kids that are memorizing scripture and in church three nights a week seeking God. What an amazing thing that is. And you know what I found? You know, I keep adding orphans to my list. I don't know, as I make more, I'm adding more orphans to my list that I'm supporting. And I, when I go to India, I have to admit my heart is there. I love those kids. How many can relate to what I'm talking about? See, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And when I see them, I get so emotionally moved. I'm just going, it's not just an emotional decision. I'm going, I'd rather give there than over here. I'd rather do this than another thing. How many fault? Are you, are you guys tracking with me today? Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? Isn't that powerful? I think it is. Okay, number seven. They gave so that there was more than enough. I love this. Exodus chapter 36. Says, so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left off what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord that was commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Wow, what an, what an interesting story. They just guys, These guys really caught the vision, did they not? How many said they actually caught the vision? Yeah, I think they did. But, you know, what was interesting is that, um, and what... I think it's fascinating. I'm just looking. Where did I put that quote? See if it's here. Oh, okay. I guess not. They gave also as an expression of worship to God. Really, ultimately, our giving is worship. And I think sometimes we think, you know, yeah, worship is the fruit of our lips to give thanks. That's worship. But do you realize the way you live your life is worship? It's not just on Sundays. It's the how you live. And so they were worshiping God. In verse uh, 22, it says, All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought forth gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments, and they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. This was how they were worshiping God. So I think we need to understand, worship is more than just coming to church on a Sunday. Worship is how I'm... You, you know, think about what, what is finances. Finances, when you distill it down, we're in a barter system, really. You know, you do so much work, they give you so much pay. When you give back here, what you're really giving is the time you were at work. 
you're saying, this belongs to God. I recognize that, okay? Let me move on to the second greeting, the participants involved. In our text, the idea that God chose certain people for some very specific tasks. It says, Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. How many, when you read that, what does that say to you? You and I have gifts that come from God. Isn't that true? Now, yes, we're responsible for developing them. So whatever trade you're in, whatever vocation you're in, God gave you wisdom. God gave you abilities. God gave you understanding. Isn't that true? Not everybody's equal. How many say not everybody's equal in the world? Different people have different abilities, different skills, right? To whom much is given, the Bible says, much is required. So if you're a very gifted person, you know, you can't walk around going, I'm just so smart. That's how our world thinks. Just think how smart and crafty I am. No, we should be saying, God, I'm so humbled. Why should you have given me these abilities and gifts and not someone else? Are we we tracking? You see what I'm getting at? So we need to understand that God is the one that's blessing us with these abilities. Like he blessed this gentleman with the ability to do all these amazing things, all kinds of skills. He was, and to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. So he was a craftsman. To cut and set stones, to do work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. So here we find the focus on the physical building, Right? the ability to do this. But I think that God gives us abilities to help one another develop in our relationship with God. And not only did he have Bezalel uh, uh, doing this, but he also had an assistant. And it says, And he gave him both him and Aholiab, son of Ahishmak, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. So here, these people not only could do it, but they use their abilities to instruct and develop and help other people to develop their abilities. And really, that's what leadership is all about. Leadership is so that you and I can actually go out and help other people. See, it's not just about you doing it for yourself. And you and I need to say, God, help me to use what you've trained me and taught me and given me experience so I can go on and help other people. Isn't that great? You know? And I'm hoping that when I'm imparting things to you, that you're taking them and working it through your mind and praying about it and then going from here and you're taking these things and you're applying them wherever you are. You're relating to people. You're, you know, your, your attitude has been changed. Your thinking has been changed. You're not thinking like the culture. You're thinking the way God would have you think. And you're going out there as a, as a person of faith and you're helping other people and blessing them and doing good to them. Isn't that amazing that we get to do that? How many understand it's not about us? See, if we can get that out of our heads, it's so liberating and so freeing. How many know it's more blessed to give than to receive? Uh, for a number of reasons. Right off the top, if you have to, you know, if you're only just getting all the time, that's really sad because maybe you don't have anything to give. You have to just be on the receiving end. How, how awesome is it to be able to give? That's a privilege. See, I don't think we see it that way, but I do. You know, if I have, God has blessed me with more than I need to survive, then I can use these resources, invest them, and I can decide, do I want to invest them in things that have a short, earthly, temporary, 
life, or I can invest them in things that are going to have eternal dividends. You follow what I'm getting at? And when you're investing in helping other people, you're investing in people who have eternal natures to them. And you have no idea what you're going to, when you're helping these people, what's going to happen as a result of doing that in their lives. Well, let me move on to the third, the response of the people. There was a challenge set before them. How are they going to respond? Well, we've looked at one of their amazing responses is they just rose up and did it, right? And you know, I'm going to say that I want to just commend our church. Our church is good. I don't, I don't get up here every year going, oh, it's terrible. We don't have enough money. You don't hear that. You know why? The church is faithful. And year after year, you've been faithful. You're giving and supporting the ministry. And I want to commend you for that. I'm not, this isn't because we don't have enough. You know, we had a surplus last year. Yes, praise God. That's good, right? Very nice. But what I'm saying to us is, in the future, if we're going to keep growing and developing as a congregation, we're going to have to develop, our facility is going to have to change. You can only go to so many services, or else we're going to have to go to extension campus. We have to figure this out. I don't have the game plan, guys. So I'm not coming with a specific game plan. I'm just saying, yeah, there's things we could do this year. You know, I, I went to our board uh, this last month, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we started st- live streaming our services? And I'll tell you why I want to do this. One of the reasons is so that we can reach people that are not geographically further away from us. And also, in central Alberta, we're probably reaching 350,000, 400,000 people. And, you know, a lot of people have been wounded by church. Isn't that true? They've had bad experiences, negative experiences. And they want to know if they can even trust you. And so a lot of times, if you have a streamed service, they're going to listen in. And eventually, they decide from watching and hearing I'm relating to this church. I want to go see it. And uh, I know, I, I don't know this pastor personally, but I know his father-in-law very well. And he said, the father-in-law is a close friend of mine. He said, my son-in-law is pastoring this church in St. Catharines, Ontario. And they went live streaming. All of a sudden, the next thing you know, they had two or 300 people drawing in every single Sunday. And eventually that church really started growing because people started you know, coming to that congregation as a result of the live stream. Isn't that powerful? You know, I think it's great. And just think around the world, we could have our missionaries watching our services. A lot of things could start happening, you know? My mind works this way. I'm sorry. I just, I get ideas. And I'm going, this is a way to reach people. I am really motivated by reaching people. You haven't figured that out yet? I'm all about that. I just thought, you know, and to do it really, really well, we could do it really in, very poorly, but I don't like doing anything poorly. How many are with me? I want to, if we're going to do this, we want to do it well. So I went and asked our technical people. They said, Pastor, if we had $38,000, we could put all the stuff in play and go for it. I said, that doesn't sound like too much money. As a matter of fact, that church in St. Catharines, they, people started tithing to that church. And I thought, man, after a while, they'll pay for this thing, right? So somebody has to make the initial investment. And isn't that what we do in business? We make an investment. And then eventually, we hope we get the return. That's kind of the... I mean, I think sometimes business people have more faith than a lot of people because you have to stick your neck out, right? You're hoping to make the return, so you make an investment. And I'm going, this is a pretty good investment. We're going after eternity, eternal things that are going to have significant long-term ramifications. It says here, and the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. And it's amazing, and the amazing thought was they had to be finally restrained. And then this really smart commentator makes this interesting human observation. And I like it, because it's true. He said, it must have been a bit disappointing and frustrating to those who had delayed their gifts because they could not bear to part with their treasures. 
who now found that God had no further need of what they had. Now, I've thought about this. You know, if we don't really catch on to giving and we wait till we're further on in the journey of life, we've probably lacked an opportunity to do a lot of good things for a long time. And by the time we finally figured it out, we say, well, yeah, when I die, I'll finally give some, of the, some to the work of God. I'm going, wow, that's sad, you know, when we could have had the joy of investing all along. And so we need to think about that. Jesus warns us, oh, he puts down, his, his work was finished, but they had excluded themselves from any share in it. God deliver us from such frustration. The opportunity to give. Okay, John, Jesus said this in John 9, 4. He says, as long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, there are opportunities today. Take advantage of them. That's what we need to do. We need to work while there's opportunity. Could you imagine if we all of a sudden we had a repressive government and we couldn't do what we're doing? Things would really come to a screeching end in a hurry. You know what I mean? What happens if, you know, we had such repression that, you know, people came in and took every single Bible you owned away from you? Only what you had memorized you would be able to use to sustain your spiritual life. Some of you go, I would be on a really light diet, Pastor. Maybe that's an argument for kind of getting the Word of God inside of us. I'm just pointing this out. And you know, people like me, I'll be in jail. Believe me. How many figured that out? Leaders are always the ones they put in jail. They're the problem, right? As far as they're concerned. But let me close with a story here. I don't want to spend a lot of time. When I was 22 years old, 22, 23, right in that age... You know, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I'd just become a Christian at 21 years old. I was pretty excited about serving God. And, you know, I had, you know, woundedness in my life. I had to work through some things from my past, broken home, all those kinds of things. But, you know, isn't it amazing that God can, you know, work in your life? And I remember I was trying to decide because I was working in a restaurant. I'd been cooking for about four years, three, four years. And the restaurant I was working at, burnt to the ground. I didn't do it, but I was there when it started. The, I actually witnessed the beginning of the demise of the restaurant because I was sitting in our lunch room and I could see the arcing going on in the electrical room. I could see the, sh- the electric shots going across there. And I, I was toying with maybe trying to shut it off, but it was there was so much activity in there. I thought, I think I'm going to be in trouble if I try that trick. And the guy later on the Fire guy said, you'd have touched that panel, you'd have been gone. I mean, it was bad. So I got everybody out of the restaurant. Restaurant burns to the ground. They couldn't shut the power off. That was a problem. They had 30 minutes to get the information to finally shut the electricity off from the building so they couldn't put any water on it. So no restaurant. Beautiful restaurant. Worked there for a couple of years. Now I'm out of a job. And I'm just praying. I'm saying, God... What am I going to do with myself? You know, I didn't really feel like I wanted to stay in that field, though eventually I, st- I worked twice as long in that field than I wanted to. But I, 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 I wanted to do something different in my life. And I was toying with, you know, I was living in the States. I was toying with going into the military and get training. You know, I was thinking about that. And while I was thinking about that, that morning, because I, was a, I had now become a daily Bible reader, how many can see this is important, 
I'm a daily Bible reader. I open my Bible. I'm in Luke chapter 21. And there's a story of the little widow who gives her two mites. Remember that story? And there's all these other people giving great amounts of money. And Jesus said, he commended her. She said that she has given more than all of them. Because she has given out of her living, they have given out of their abundance. And the Spirit of God spoke into my spirit because I was thinking, you know, I'll get a good job. I'll make a good salary. I was thinking about, you know, being an air traffic controller. They get paid pretty good. You know, I, I thought, I'll just support the work of God. And I felt God's Spirit saying, that's not what I want for you. I want you to give yourself to me completely because it'll be, a, be, it'll be worth more than if you do the other thing. And that was the turning point that made me decide to go in the ministry, which has not been noted for the kind of vocation you go into if you want to make money. I'll just point, it, point that out to you. But you know something? I've never regretted that choice for a minute. It's not been always easy. It's not been always fun. But when I look over the course of my life and I see all the people's lives that I've had the privilege of touching and ministering to and blessing. And then I see what our church family has grown and how we're impacting around the world. I'm just going, Lord, I'm so thankful. I just did what you asked me to do. We've got to stop trying to figure it all out. Sometimes in our lives, we just need to obey God. Isn't that true? Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your steps. Don't be wise in your own eyes. That's our problem. We're trying to figure it out. God says, no, just do what I'm asking you to do. And you know, this morning, I think they handed out a little pamphlet, right? Did you guys all get that from the ushers? I want you to just notice it. Here's what I'm saying to you. This is not about tithing. This is about an offering. This is about, you know, we have a little bit of indebtedness that we're actually self-funding in our own church to eliminate some of the things that we did, like the big, how many appreciate this screen and the new foyer look and all that stuff. But you know what? If we're going to move into the future and really develop our church facilities down the road, we need to plan for that. We need to raise the resources for that. And it'll have to be done over time so it becomes doable. You know, that's my personality. I am a plotter. I am a planner. How many appreciate that? And so, you know, I'm very conservative, and our church has been affected by my fiscal conservative nature. And so, you know, it's been really gracious. By the grace of God, we've never laid off a single staff person in over 30 years. How many can appreciate that? Because, you know, we just don't do crazy stuff. But if you plan, and I'm trying to teach this to all of us, if you're, if you're good at planning and budgeting, and prioritizing correctly, it's amazing how much you can do. Amen? Let's stand this morning. So I'm going to let you read over that brochure. I'm going to let you pray over that brochure. And I thought about it. You know, if you give, let's say, $20 more a month, Besides your general giving, you just say, this is what I'm going to put in that other box, future development. I'm going to put 
$50 a month or whatever you feel God is leading you to do. Don't feel you're not getting pressure from me. But I'm convinced a church this size, we're going to do good. And you know what? I, I said to Patty, see, when I preach this sermon, it would be a hypocrisy for me not to do that too. You know that? So I gave her a number that I want to do. She said, yeah, that's fine. She doesn't know this yet. That's the number by God's grace we'll give. But in my heart of hearts, I want to give twice that. So once we do that number and we're doing good, I'll say to her, hey, can we do more? Because I'm not going to do anything without discussing this with my wife. But she's agreed to the front part. And then by the grace of God, we'll even do more. Because I feel in my heart, you know what? Over the years, and I'll say this, Patty and I have, you know, just taken what we've had. We've always tied to our church. But for most of the 30 years, we have been giving extra to our church to make sure that we would have a building like this. See, I just couldn't come up and ask people for money and not do it myself. If I asked people to sacrifice, I had to do it. Does that make sense? See, I can't live with myself if I'm not doing what I'm saying. I'm just not wired that way. Maybe some people can pull that trick. I can't do it. So I'm just saying, you go home, think about, pray about, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if he says nothing, do nothing. But if he says, you know, I think you could do this a little bit, then do your part. And we know it'll happen at the end of the year. That remaining indebtedness will be paid and we'll be saving money so that we can actually plan correctly for how we're going to develop this for the future. And you know what that means? That in 25, 30 years, I probably won't be the pastor in 30 years from now. There'll be another pastor, but they'll have a church. My prayer is it'll be so much greater than this present congregation. It'll be even better because they'll have built on what you and I have contributed. Isn't that good? And that's why I showed you that little presentation so that you could see that these earlier people sacrificed for you. How many appreciate their sacrifice? Don't you appreciate that? I do. So you're the beneficiaries of other people's sacrifice. What I'm saying to you is, now you have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? To invest rather than just to build golden calves. See the difference? Chapter 32, they were building golden calves. Chapter 35, they were building God's house of worship. I don't know about you. I want to live in chapter 35. I don't want to be in chapter 32. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are just trying to give us a glimpse of a very sensitive area in our lives, one that really reflects so much of our lives and where our heart's at. Lord, help us to have our hearts in the right place. Lord, help us to make investments that even transcend our world. And then in eternity, when we're in your presence, we're going to see the real returns of our investment, which will be far greater than the temporal ones that people are enjoying today. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.